All right, welcome. It's Friday afternoon. That means we're uh, in the home stretch and we're gonna wrap the week up with a bunch of interesting AWS news. Well, hopefully interesting. Hopefully interesting, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and as I got. mentioned, uh, well, that's really hard to do. I have a, a cat visiting us today, and <laughs> I, I we could we could do. I'm not I'm not a sports better, so is it over under on how right? What's the likelihood of him actually staying in that spot the whole time we're here? I'm I wouldn't bet against it. Uh, so we might have to we might have to take a, a break uh, when he decides he's had enough and wanders out of here. So we'll see we'll see how he does. I think he's pretty much out of it so fingers crossed we're safe for now yeah we're yeah. safe for now um all right well i was trying to think of something like fun to start the show with uh what could i start the show with i have a, a wi-fi stove now <laughs> wow wow how's that yeah I don't, <laughs> how's that going uh, yeah <laughs> i can turn my stove on and off when i'm out of the house that's pretty cool it's probably cloud-based right Almost certainly, yeah. Yeah, probably. I would, I would assume so. So that's interesting news. Other than the fact that it's crappy news because the other stove, the old stove, stove died, broke. so yeah. I had to spend money, and now I have a really expensive <laughs> Wi-Fi device in my house. But anyways, uh, I don't have any other fun, interesting news to tell you. It's all I got. <laughs> so let's, I guess let's just jump in then. I guess so. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Let me see if I'm, I'm fingers crossed that all of this works. I was telling you before we started that. I was having some some issues with the software today, or we had some technical today. difficulties. Yeah, some technical difficulties. Week. So far, so good. Oh, oh, you know what? After I told hmm. you that we had to make sure that we were unmuted when we changed screens, I didn't yep. think about it, but I think we're good. I, I can see okay. the little bars moving. So it's a good sign. Hopefully, we have audio. That would be that's handy to have. All right, so. <laughs> uh, as usual, I've lined up a couple things here we could talk about, and I thought we would start with the ever-popular Gartner reports. Uh, mm. Love them or hate them, lots of people talk about these things and use them well to just help them make decisions. So there is, there's actually two Gartner reports, and and I, there's one about sort of the cloud platform service providers, right? And then there, was, yep. I saw another one for I think it's relational databases in okay. cloud. And for mm -hmm. some reason, I kind of forgot about the RDS one, or I shouldn't call it RDS, the relational databases in the cloud until I saw this. So there are two new ones, but you can see here, uh, you can download the report and go read the whole thing if, if, that's your, uh, if that's your thing. We'll see if we can zoom in here a little bit. Maybe, there we go. Uh, so there's the ever famous magic quadrant. Um, AWS is still a leader, but uh, you know, you've got the, the big three that are always there, sort of grouped very closely right together. At the top, right? Yeah. Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. Yeah, makes sense. Right. And this is based on ability to execute and completeness of vision. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually kind of interesting. There, there, if I click on the, let's see if this will work. Uh, we'll, we'll read the Gartner report. And yeah, there's, there's lots of stuff in here. Let's find Amazon. So they kind of give you strengths and cautions. Um, I I thought there was some mm. some interesting sort of tidbits in here as well. If you look on the on the strength side, and I don't think you know this seems pretty obvious to me, uh, the breadth and depth of infrastructure and platform services, right? When I think about our customers, 
I know there's, you know, we're going to talk about fancy stuff here in a minute, all the, the, the shiny new objects, but for the most part, yeah. in the Canadian market, maybe it's different somewhere else, but sort of infrastructure, platform, services are the thing that everybody is still using. Right. Let's, let's, it's true. So, yeah. Yeah. And I I think that this is not a surprise when we just look at sort of how our customers are using it. I thought the last sentence here is kind of interesting. Core AWS services typically influence the market by establishing standards and prices that other providers adopt. So they're kind of still leading everything, right? They're kind of setting the bar, right? Yeah. They're, they're the known, they're capable of executing on delivering at least the, these various services and, they just yeah. keep pumping them out, right? So yeah, that's exactly it. And you said uh, raising the bar or setting the bar. I know that's also a phrase that they use quite often internally in AWS or when you know as a partner oh, yeah. or stuff. You know, we're going to uh, raise the bar, which essentially means you you gotta you gotta Im- continuously improve what it is that you've already sort of delivered. How are you going to improve that mm. next time? So just you made me think of that. Um, hardware design innovations. Nitro systems, ARM-based processors. This kind of goes back to what we Graviton. talked about last week, the Graviton yeah. stuff, right? So that's kind of interesting. Uh, potential cost and efficiency advantages over providers who solely rely on third-party components. I would think, like I remember years and years ago, it was probably one of the very first reinvents that I went to, and they, mm-hmm. they, they introduced a new keynote. I think it was called Tuesday Night Live. And okay. yeah. it was actually... how to, Werner is usually the highlight for me at reInvent. Right. That keynote. Yeah. I would say the Tuesday Night Live stuff is a very close second. It tends to be, at least in my experience, it tends to be very technical. And I remember the very first time they did it, and I can see the person who did it. It's not the same person now. Um, I, I can see him, but I can't remember their name. And they came out and they talked about sort of what is AWS doing behind the curtains? They, you know, the sort of Wizard of Oz, they let you kind of peer behind it a little bit. And that was the first time, as far as I know, that they started talking about all the custom hardware that they were using. Right. Yeah. They weren't talking about chips at that point. They were talking about custom racks, custom networking, custom equipment. storage. Yep. I would think that this is just going to continue. I don't see why not, right? Um, there's... I mean, there's issues with supply chains right now, and there has been for the past few years, right, for yeah. some components. Yeah, uh, yeah they're just going to keep investing in their own hardware to, I mean, that's how you, if you control your hardware pipeline, you can drive down your costs that way, right? Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. And I would assume that's probably where they realize the price savings on things like Graviton, because they're in control Absolutely. of that, so they can pass those savings on versus buying from a third-party vendor where that vendor is setting the prices, right? Well, they could design chips to optimize for the workloads too, right? Um, and power supply requirements and that kind of thing. So, Yeah, yeah very good. And then the last thing, uh, strengths here, large, capable partner ecosystem, mature systems mm-hmm. integrator, mature managed service providers. Yeah, again, I think it's just kind of sort of the standard that everybody gets measured against is is this. More importantly, or more interesting, I, I think, is is the cautions part. Um, mm. Lack of tools and guidance for multi-cloud scenarios. Right. That's becoming more common. People are moving to multiple cloud yeah. providers to try and get the advantages from uh, across all parties, right? So. Yeah. And I think but that's really going to accelerate. 
yeah, I, I agree. I and there's not great support for that yeah. that I've seen. So. Well, it's like we were talking just before we came on here, right, about a customer who's running a small part at this point. Well, it's actually maybe not as small as we might know, but they're moving some components or creating new components in Azure that are talking back to what's in AWS. We've got other yeah. customers are, that are using Azure DevOps that's talking in to AWS. They're picking point solutions that make sense for them, and then they mm -hmm. need to be able to operate between those different providers. So. I thought that was an interesting yeah. point. Um, I don't know about the second point. Over, over emphasis, there we go, on lift and shift. So mm -hmm. lift and shift, just if we're not sure, means you just pick up what you have now and you dump it onto your cloud provider. In this case, AWS. And you know, basically what they're saying in this paragraph is that AWS focuses too highly on lift and shift and therefore the customers are able to get running quickly, but the possibility or the potential of them modernizing that application later on in order to uh, really leverage the true benefits of of cloud, you know, mm -hmm. cloud-first products and stuff like that or whatever we want to call them, um, is lacking in because of this overemphasis on a, on a lift and shift. What do you think about that? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I can kind of see it. Like, if you just want to get a customer into the cloud quickly and replicate exactly what they're doing, um, then yeah, you're just going to drag and drop basically, right? Yeah. Do the simplest upload that you can and then get the, just to get them in. But you really should be thinking about how can you leverage what's in the cloud to you know, minimize costs, maximize the utilization of your resources in the best way you can. Yeah. Um, I guess it's just a priorities thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it might be. I, I, I still talk a lot about lift and shift with customers because mm -hmm. I think it's the easiest way to get going. However, right, you do have to, you can't overlook the benefits of running uh, sort of in a, in a cloud first approach. Like how do you, how do you get rid of an operating system if you possibly can? Um, mm. I guess the other thing that I sort of catches me on this one, and it goes back to what we talked about in the, in the first part here is a lot of the customers, and maybe it's just the types of customers we're dealing with, uh, the level of their maturity and stuff. A lot of them are running off the shelf software. Like they're yeah. speaking of vendors again, right? They're reliant on that vendor, but they've made the decision that they don't want that piece of software running on a physical piece of hardware in their data center right. or something. So in those sort of situations, you're you're not going to suddenly say, you know, oh vendor, you're going to have to redo all of this. You're gonna you're going to be reliant on that vendor. They're going to decide whether they want to do that or not. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people who are a lot of it departments aren't even in the cloud at all still to this day right like it's only maybe like the top 10 percent of aws customers who are fully optimized fully in there um with a, a well-structured environment so you know yeah. uh, there's, a, there's so many from oh go ahead i was gonna say there's got to be there's so many people using aws who have just essentially replicated their servers as EC2 instances, yeah. and then that's their cloud approach, right? Yeah. Which is not necessarily the best way to do it. Yeah. I've tried to modernize my Minecraft server time and time again, yeah. but <laughs> it's still running on EC2 instances. It's running on a Graviton processor now though. Uh -huh. Hey, there you go. There you go. I'm optimizing that's for cost, good. right? Um, you, you made me think of something like, again, borrow from AWS. It's still day one, Yeah. right? Like it's it is. so early yeah. days still that and, and when I teach AWS classes, I, you know, I get so many questions from, custom, uh, from students, right? They're like, 
well, how do I choose? Like, how do I pick one thing over the other? And, and it's, it's a balancing act. You've, you've, you've got to find the right, the thing that makes sense for you, because I think the other thing that's sort of overlooked in this statement is lift and shift is one thing. Okay. But to ask a customer to modernize that application, that, that product or that project becomes much more complicated or potentially much more complicated it could to have the skills yeah. to do that right successfully right. i like the sort of i like the let's get it running in aws but make sure that we have commitments and plans to say over time we're gonna start looking at each of these individual pieces and figure out how do we move them from an infrastructure service to a platform service to a serverless offering at some point right and come up with that plan so yeah and then the last one here, potential competition with partners. Right. It makes me smile. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see this. Right. And, and I've, I've been going to reinvent for a, a long time and, and we always would only half joke that when you're sitting in the keynotes, there are people that are in that keynote with you that have just watched their business go away. Right. Because, yeah. because AWS has decided that they're going to go and, offer that as a, a service or run it as a managed offering or something. So I just I just thought here, you know, AWS offers many managed services per, for popular open source packages, migration tools, blah, 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 blah. And they are competing against the partner ecosystem that that they are well known for, right? And, and sort of set that bar, but they're also competing against those partners. I don't think this is unique to AWS though. No, this is common amongst all yeah. of the big providers. I, I read a really great book, and I wish I could remember what that book was. But the gist of the book is, and, and again, not picking on anybody in particular here. The idea of the book, though, is as these platforms first come out, they need the ecosystem of people that are excited about it to help them go out and build it. And then, need builders. As, yeah. yeah, they need those those early adopters, right? And then as they grow, they are less likely or or more inclined to say, "Why don't we just do this ourselves?" And I think this is just the evolution of of the market in general, whether it's cloud services or something else. So, yeah, I, I think this would maybe be a caution with all the providers. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Gartner report. Uh, well worth a read. Um, whether you believe it or not, I think it, it could have lead to some interesting conversations within your organization, you know, to decide what you want to do. Yeah, there's some worthwhile analysis in here for sure. Yeah, for sure. To take some, a look at. Some opportunities for some learn learning, right? This one, I don't know if you saw this. This was all over my social feeds this week. Uh on LinkedIn, it was being shared by multiple people. On Twitter, it's being shared on multiple people. Uh, I think BT is British Telecom. I should know that before mm -hmm. I talk about the article, but let's just call it BT. Uh, advances the AI, advances AI enhanced product development with Code Whisperer. And okay. we've got some really interesting stats here. Look at this. More than 100,000 lines of code. Let me see if I can get this to fit here. Hold on. I don't know what's going on with my Zoom. There we go. Uh, over 100,000 lines of code generated by Code Whisper in the first four months, automating around 12% of the, I love the wording, tedious, repetitive, and time-consuming tasks. <laughs> Cloud Marketing 101. Uh, 15 oh, yeah. to 20 suggestions of code per software engineer using the tool per day with an acceptance rate of, let's say, 40%, blah, 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 blah. I, I think this is, this is definitely, well... 
again, I don't care if it's Code Whisperer or, or some other uh, programming Provider, companion. Yeah. This is the this sums up the benefits of all of them. I think you're going to pick Pretty the much. tool that makes the most sense for you. Right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it doesn't surprise me too much. Uh, you're going to use it to finish uh, to write all those boilerplate lines of code that you're trying to write right and uh yep yeah it seems like that's pretty much what it's being used for here yeah i i like the metrics i like the fact that they were able to go and say like how many lines of code did code whisper generate how many mm. of those suggestions were accepted i poked around sort of in in preparation for this obviously right there's two of us um yeah. i poked around <laughs> in in our little uh code whisperer environment to see that they actually published some decent metrics into CloudWatch as CloudWatch metrics. And okay. uh, I was I was trying to see if I could find in there, like how many suggestions, how many lines of code. I'm sure it's there, but I literally kind of went into the console, went click, 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 and then got distracted with something else. And before I knew it, it was <laughs> two o'clock. So here we are. Um, yeah. I think that the metric data here is, is interesting that you could, you could use this to maybe justify code companions coding companions in general like whether it's yeah. copilot whether it's code whisperer whether it's the next thing that comes out right yeah it's kind of interesting it's got like just under a 40 percent acceptance rate for the suggestion so you have to manage to do a little uh you have to try a couple times to get what you need but yeah, yeah it does speed things up that's for sure now you use copilot mostly don't you I know mostly copilot yeah okay so i, I, I don't use mean. copilot i i'm exclusively using code whisperer um, not because I'm that much of a fanboy. It's just, for me, it's just easy because I don't have to set yeah. up my GitHub stuff. I've already got it all set up in PyCharm. It's just, well, and I think we talked about this as a group earlier in the week, right? Like just, mm. I think what wins, and maybe we talked about this last week, what wins in the end for most customers is what's going to be the easiest thing to use that is providing yeah. you with adequate performance. So That's for right. me, it's, it's Code Whisperer. Um, why was I, why, why did I bring that up? Old, old man brain. Whisperer versus pilot. Yeah, it was more like, oh yeah, I remember now. Like in Code Whisperer, when it dumps out a, a chunk of code for me, I get like, there's the code, but then I can flip through. I can tab through. Usually it gives me like two, three different suggestions. Couple Does suggestions. Does Copilot yeah. do that too? Does it give you a bunch yep. of different options? Yeah, okay. Yeah, you, they, you can generate a couple of suggestions, right, and uh, yeah. go through them. So that's table stakes so. at this point. Yeah, if, that's if par for the course for these things. If your programming companion doesn't do that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, is it really? Yeah. You know, I can tell you, I'll leave my the, the rest of my Code Whisperer thing, but if this is a really interesting article, and I, I think it's it's well worth the read again if, if you're looking at how to improve um, your, your code writing. Right, just having that yep. companion there that's smarter than you. Um, I would be well. Uh, we'll see. Right. I okay, would be is interested it smarter to see. Than you, maybe not, but uh, <laughs> it sure is good at remembering yeah. how the code, how the standard code should look. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I I've well, we talked about this earlier too, right? Trust but trust but verify kind of thing is, is yeah. what you you have to do with this. It doesn't mean that you know I'm writing Python code for Q. It doesn't mean that I. Like I need to know Python still. I need to be able to understand that. But now I don't necessarily have to go off to another website or documentation to find it. It can give me enough context and I can say, oh yeah, of course that's it. But that little part doesn't look right. So let's just check right. it, right? So yeah. 
I find it just uh, pro from a productivity perspective, just not having to continuously switch contexts. Like I'm, I'm in my yes. IDE, it's spitting stuff out at me. I'm not having to open up a tab in my web browser and, and go Google some stuff. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I, I love that huge. as well. Yeah. I'm just curious to see what the code quality metrics look like over time. But we'll, I guess we'll yeah. find out over the next yeah, year. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see which of the providers this is the first one to provide us with metrics about like right. how many times yeah. did somebody use a piece of code that didn't work? Maybe they can't even tell that. I don't, I don't know how you would, that would be more mm. anecdotal, I think, right? Like the developers would have well, to say, I took five of your suggestions and, and three of them worked and these two didn't. Yeah. Right. You could maybe check to track that. I mean, GitHub could probably do it if you're in their, their a repo that they own. Um, so you could probably run some analysis yeah. against that, or if you're using uh, Amazon's equivalent. But do you mean yeah, like I guess we'll see how that, something like that code commit or or uh, code pipeline. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. So that's that one. Well worth the read again. And then this kind of I, I found this, and it just lined up well with the BT article there. Uh, prompt engineering. I actually, uh, this mm. week I've been spending some time at, I will not remember what the acronym is, but let's just call it the virtual summit for Amazon trainers this week. It's okay. called TIPS yep. or something. And I was amazed, quite sure if I was sold on this or not, but I was amazed at how many times they mentioned prompt engineering, Gen AI. And, I, I, and again, I think this is just, me not quite having my head wrapped around it. I, I couldn't quite make the leap from how is this continuous conversation about Gen AI and prompt engineering making me a better trainer? I, I couldn't make that connection. <laughs> I, I yeah. think what they were maybe doing was preparing all of the trainers for the fact that this is going to be a huge thing that you right. are going to either have to be able to talk intelligently about or you know your students are going to mm. start asking you about it. You're going to have to train for it. Um, but that made me think of this article, best practices for prompt engineering. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? There's we this, did. this yeah. is this theme now, right? Um, yep. I don't think there's anything in here that is groundbreaking. Like when I looked at sort of the best practices when it comes to prompt engineering with code whispers, uh, code whisper, keep it specific, keep it concise, add additional context. This is very similar to yep. the article that you shared a couple weeks back, right? Um, yeah, pretty much. There's, but, there's like, oh, oh go good. No, go ahead. I was gonna say there's universal uh, considerations when you're dealing with a large language model like this, right? So yeah, yeah. I still don't think you're gonna make 300k a year just being a prompt engineer. <laughs> but you know what? I'm wrong more than I'm right. So you never know. Um, but this is definitely gonna be a skill. I see it even just in in the the work that I'm doing in Code Whisperer, um, mm. like keeping this if you if you write that sort of comment um keeping this like thinking about what it is you're actually tr you know wanting it to give you a suggestion to the point yeah. up here keeping it concise right specific if i just tr say something <laughs> like I, I i don't if i don't know how to articulate the problem i'm trying to solve myself then how do i expect code whisperer or anything else it's not going to read your mind. So you, you've got to be able to articulate what you're trying to do. Yeah. It's going to generate its best guess at what you're asking for. And it can only has what you give it to work with. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Okay. So this was one, like I said, nothing too groundbreaking in here. One of the things that I noticed and 
actually I'll save it because I want to talk about the Q business stuff. Oh, okay. I'll save it for yep. when we get to that. So good, good article here. I love this one. Did you hear about this story? Uh, I'm going to guess this is the Air Canada one, right? This is the Air Canada one. Oh, yeah. sorry. Yeah, okay. you can't see. I, uh, I, always <laughs> I can't quite see it in real time. Thing. Yes, this is the um, Air Canada bot that gave oh, bad God. advice about, um, it was a person flying last minute for bereavement. And the yes. bot, and again, you know, trust but verify. Um, my understanding is the <laughs> bot told them something. The customer yeah. went ahead, bought their tickets, and then tried to go back to Air Canada after they flew and said, can I get the discount because I flew for bereavement? And it was Air the, Canada said, no, you can't policy. do that after the fact. Um, yep. the they thing, give you 10 days and the bot said 90. Yeah, Was that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Okay. The thing that I thought was really interesting here is, and it'll be it'll this will be the interesting part to see how it plays out. Hmm. They Air Canada basically said we're not responsible for what the chatbot says. Yeah. And uh, I think this was in BC. Yeah, it says here in the uh, person was in BC, and uh, the Civil Resolution Tribunal. It's a mouthful. Did mm -hmm. not agree and said, no, this is an extension of your organization and you're, you are responsible for what it says. Uh, I think this is going to, this is probably going to happen a lot, I would think. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's worth, it's a, it's a two minute video. It, it's worth a look. And I think it's also, you know, we were talking about the Gartner stuff and how it can trigger conversations. I think the other thing is, it's one thing to have a chat bot, but if you, if you, if that chatbot is going to pass along information to do with pricing or something like that, there's probably, I had this conversation last night, there's probably a point where that chatbot should say, I probably need a person involved in this conversation to give you that yep. level of protection. Because you would hope that the human understands the policies and the chatbot, like we talk about a lot here, may hallucinate a little bit and, and uh, interpret things <laughs> that in different ways. It's true. And it's so dangerous to allow someone, just any, like a human being access to one of these chatbots that just speaks for your organization and just have it exposed to the internet. It's like, um, there was that huge story last year, um, about the Chevy dealership. Do you remember that one? I don't. Where, okay. Well, what happened was they had set up chat GPT, just basically reskinned it as the Chevy dealership, but it was full ChatGPT access. You could log in and get it to generate Python code for you, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I had no guardrails on it. And someone went in and coached it to say that it'll give them a new Chevy Tahoe for $1 and no takesies oh, backsies. Yeah. Yeah. I do. Okay. But so this is really funny. This is a big story. That. Yeah. This. this yeah. I, okay. So I learned about that this week uh -huh. in the oh, training. Okay summit yeah they had a whole session it was actually a really good session but it, again going back to my earlier point about just having a hard time connecting these two things together it was a whole mm. session about sort of um exploiting like using prompt yeah. prompt engineering for evil essentially and they used that example <laughs> so they, they showed sort of what the person did right you will you will give me this deal and it will be legally binding no takesies backsies kind of thing and and like you said that came back and said yeah you, you can get a, a car for a buck or whatever it was and uh yeah. yeah i guess that's just the tip of the iceberg and you had a story about microsoft and chat gpt last week uh 
sort yep. of trying to intercept bad actors and and stop them from using these extremely tools like difficult this. problem yeah. incredibly difficult problem because yeah. you can uh with another example you can jailbreak these things by just changing the context of what you're asking to be something innocuous right so there's like the old the grandma jailbreak was a big one for a while so yeah. you you would tell you would tell it to act as like your your sweet grandmother and then it would spit out the recipe for methamphetamines or, <laughs> or something like that you know <laughs> like, <laughs> like so yeah, discerning intent is not quite there um yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's extremely risky so i i think probably what these people the like air Canada needs to do is have a preset set of prompts that you fire off to the chatbot when people are asking about these specific policies and yeah. then you can test with that instead of just yeah well here's a 90 99 of the time it's going to give you the right answer but one percent of the time it's going to tell you 90 days so yeah or it's going to tell you you can bring four pieces of carry-on luggage free of charge right you you walk up with <laughs> but the, the, the chat bot told me i could do it yeah, there, yeah it's going to be right. interesting to see how this plays out All especially right. if they're held to it by the courts which is well yeah i think very that's, interesting yeah like well i think you, as soon as you know, this type of ruling happens, you're going to see, I think mm. companies be much more careful with it because these oh, yeah. are the little things that are going to start setting precedent on how other courts will say, well, it's the same situation as that. And they said you're liable. So you're liable. They're going to start setting that legal precedent and yeah. be interesting to see what, how it plays out. All right. Speaking of chatbots. Oh boy. Oh boy. The lucky part for me is this chatbot is not available to anybody but us because it's integrated with uh, our <laughs> AWS IAM Identity Center. You gotta log in. Oh my goodness. Um, I think I've mentioned this in the, in the last couple streams. We've been, I've been sort of plugging away with Amazon Q for business and mm -hmm. it's in preview right now. And I just wanted to see how it worked. So last two weeks, uh, we've been working on this on Twitch and I kind of think it's at a point now where in theory it it works uh, it's it's not perfect okay. but what i did was i i published it all so sort of as it is right now and you can see here this project is very much a work in progress here's my here's my my uh highly legalese yep. disclaimer at the beginning <laughs> very much a work in progress the intention is to learn about gen ai and uh amazon q in particular you should not use this in production Okay, uh, and obviously how I implement this might not necessarily work in your environment, but I thought I'd just mention uh, the project here. I'll include it in the newsletter when we go out and, and I'd love to see you know, what people think about it. Uh, for now, some of it is created manually and the majority of it is uh, some simple Python code. And, and again, I, I hear people say this in their streams all the time. I almost, I'm very confident in saying you could do this way more efficiently than what I'm doing, but we're banging this out <laughs> live and, and making it work. The, the part that, that makes me cringe with this, let me yeah. show you. You're gonna laugh when you see it. Oof. So what I did was I have a, a big config file. Some of this, some of this looks, some of this indentation doesn't look right. But anyways, I have a big config file. And in that config file, I'm using Identity Center. 
uh, and I didn't want to hard code any of that stuff in here. So my yep. solution was oh, yeah. a giant YAML file, and I parsed the heck out of that YAML file to pull everything in. Uh, is it the best thing I've ever written in Python? No. Does it work? Yeah. Um, and the thing that really shocked me with this and is that as I was writing this, yeah. the first couple times... I'm like, okay, I got to create uh, what doesn't really matter. I got to create a queue application. And I went and looked in the bottle code and grabbed the API and figured out what we needed to pass along and all that great stuff. Okay. And Code Whisperer kind of looked at me like, okay, sure. Right. <laughs> Didn't know what to do. <laughs> the second week I was writing this, uh, well, yeah. I can't remember exactly what we were changing. I think it was something to do the logic that I, I did in here. And again, it's, it's, it's clunky, but it works. The first week, what we were having to do as we were building and testing is you, you build out a part of it and it would it would work so far. And then if you tried to run the script again, it would say, well, you've already got an application called that, go away. Right. Yeah. So yeah, in, in, in the way that I do this now is I, I look for the apps, I look for the indexes. And then what we're doing is we're just looping through those and saying, is there a queue app already called our demo app, okay? And sure. yeah. it, it works. And right down here, I, I did the, you can see that it does the same thing for each of the components, right? And yep. so what I have is I, I just basically have a, a list all of the web experiences. So I go to write that function up here. Where is it? This. I literally typed def list q web experiences. And I got to about that point and it filled code whisperer filled almost all of this in and, and i oh, actually yeah. yeah i actually had to look at it and i'm like because it hadn't done that to that point um and it just populated it and what was really impressive it knew the uh, in the response the field that made sense it filled mm -hmm. in uh it had sort of decided that this is what the intent was that i was going to set something to true and use that later on it even filled in the let's call them attributes and I trust but verify, I went over to the Botto documentation, looked up the, the response fields, looked up the attributes that it was passing back, and the damn thing it was right. I didn't I didn't yeah. write any of that. It just <laughs> it was like magically reading my mind and dumped those, what is that? let's say fifteen lines of code. Just plunked yeah. it right in and I didn't have to do anything. That's one thing that Code Whisperer is really good at is if you're working with the Amazon APIs, it's uh, yeah, it's got a knack for that, yeah, which but makes sense. It was probably trained heavily on those, so probably yeah. But what really got me is the week before, it was like yeah. it didn't really understand anything I was asking it to do. A week oh, later, yeah. as I'm trying to go back and rework some of this script to at least in my brain make it a little. We had a lot of stuff hard-coded the first time around just to see how we could work yep. it, get it working. And as I tried to move things around, it, like in that time frame about a week, it was impressive just to see last week versus this week how it was just sort of populating the code. Uh, wow, yeah. What a difference. I don't know how the hell right? it does that, but it was filling in blanks for me as I was going. So that's Picked pretty up, neat. Uh, some patterns in your your program and yeah i would assume it. it was probably picking up like it's like oh well you already you already created a list function here you probably want something very similar and i'll just i'll just make some educated guesses at what i think should be in these things and it it got lucky right and was Good. correct yeah so 
But like I said, I'll throw this into the newsletter. Shameless plug. I'd like to see what people <laughs> think of it. And uh, we will improve these horrible little chunks of code at some point. We'll keep plugging along <laughs> on this one. Okay. Um, the next thing on my list, uh, one of my favorite documents is the AWS security reference architecture. Uh, oh, yeah. These are examples. Yeah, I don't have a lot of hobbies, right? And uh, this was published, I think, last week they they made an announcement about this and to be honest i don't really remember what the context of the announcement really was i think it was something to do with terraform so okay. they had kind yeah. of you know imp added some examples or something around terraform but what just jumped out at me is like we use this document a lot there's a pdf version of this this is more on the example side but a lot of times when we're building out new environments this security reference architecture is something that you could use early in your design to say hey does this make sense right um yeah good doc it's a great tool for designing new environments or remediating old ones right like uh yeah. if you want to know what the best practices are there you can yeah. check here yeah i have the pdf i i, I keep it in my uh, documents folder and as i'm working on stuff i'll just open it up and use it as a a reference quite often to say okay i'm setting up mm. I'll just make something up. Uh, I need to deploy Security Hub, right? Okay, what does that yep. look like? How should, you know, has Amazon changed their opinion on how it might look? And then go off and update our code or whatever. And then if you go into here, they've got, I know it keeps it keeps mucking with my, uh, my Zoom, but you can see like, right, so these are templates that you can use. You know, very similar to my script. Your mileage may vary, but it's a great starting point. Why why create it all from scratch if you don't have to? So, For sure. Uh, yeah. You know, I find sometimes these things maybe a little overly complicated for what a lot of people want or need, and can you manage it going forward? But right, good starting point. Yeah, this whole AWS samples repo is a great place to look if you're yeah. as like a first touchstone, yeah. and then you can adapt what you find or take some ideas. I really wish they would get rid of CFN NAG and, and change it to what's it called CloudFormation Guard, but uh, oh yeah, why why change something just if it's not broken? CFN NAG does what you want. I just like to see the the newer stuff in here. I don't know if CFN NAG is even maintained anymore. I, I don't know. But anyway, yeah, did they deprecate that? I, I, don't know. I know it wasn't actually. I don't. My recollection is CFN NAG wasn't created by AWS originally. It was a partner, but it was used quite heavily for a long time. Oh yeah, it's diligent. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, is yeah, it, it hasn't are you, seen. Can you see it on the? You looking at it? Is it maintained? Yeah, it's on. It's on GitHub. Um, let me see here. It's got some open PRs. Yeah. August eighteenth was the last one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The other thing with these templates is, you know, even if, like, even if you're not necessarily trying to figure out how to deploy what did i select here config doesn't matter but let's say you're looking at ways to learn about features functionality of in this case cloud formation i know when i was first getting started i borrowed mm. quite heavily from aws templates because you would expect them to be the experts on this stuff so as you're learning right. like going through and looking at sort of the logical things if you're interested in the metadata pieces like CFN NAG, I learned a lot from this and even just sort of reverse engineering and going, what the heck is a sub? And then going back and looking <laughs> in the documentation and going, oh, well, that makes perfect sense. How can I use that going forward? It's a great way to learn stuff if you're just interested in trying to pick up a, a new skill. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I think this is pretty much how I learned CloudFormation from, at this time, uh, this didn't exist, but there was, uh, it's still around the solutions library. And a lot mm. of the solutions library will have templates created by AWS for certain things. And yeah. I didn't necessarily want to deploy those templates, but I wanted to understand how CloudFormation worked. And you could just, it's just a YAML file, right? Or JSON, you read through it, you can figure it out pretty quickly. So great learning opportunity. Uh, Systems Manager, one of my favorite services, and I thought this was really great, uh, supports cross-account sharing of advanced tier parameters. Okay. Yeah. And to be honest, That's I didn't really know good. you couldn't do that before. Yeah. No, so it was I, limited to, uh, to on an account basis before. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that I, I wasn't quite sure about, and, and maybe you know this off the top of your head. Blah, blah, blah. Now allows you to share advanced tier parameters with other accounts, enabling you to essentially, they say here, create a single source of truth. Did that? Does yeah. that mean that previously to this, you could use... I'm going to use non-advanced tier parameters and you could share them. It was just the advanced <laughs> tier you couldn't share. Do you know? I don't think you could. I don't think you could share, share them. Yeah. Yeah. Off the top of my head. I guess I just maybe took it for granted. Like I know we use SSM a lot and increasingly we use the parameter store. You were just working on a script on a couple days ago for a customer to export all of that stuff to make sure you had a good copy of it just in case something went sideways, right? So I know yeah. we use it a ton, but when I saw this article, I was I was thinking, have I ever actually oh. shared it? I couldn't think of an example of where I maybe have shared these things. So this is Manager Parameter Store now supports cross-account sharing. Uh, posted on February 22nd. Same. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm looking okay. at. Okay, that's exactly what we're reading. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I guess you. this is new. This is a new feature. Yeah. I just wondered about like there's, I think they call them standard parameters and then advanced parameters. And there's differences, right? Like an advanced parameter can be larger. Um, I don't know what else the difference is between them. Standard parameters are not, or standard parameters are free. Advanced tier parameters are not in the systems manager. Um, yeah. But yeah, it just caught me off guard when they they pointed out a specific type of parameter. Yeah, you have yeah. to basically you can you get charged for advanced parameters, but you can set policies, um, and the size is yeah. twice as large twice and you can large. have up to 100,000 versus 10,000 per account per okay. region. What's the size of a standard parameters? It's 4K, right? It's 4K, the yeah, 4 size. And this goes to what? The advanced goes to 8K. 8K. Yep. Yeah. I wonder if Which we've is, ever gotten uh, close to even storing 4K of something as a parameter. I don't think so. Usually yeah. you store uh, environment variables, right? Yeah. There's things like that yeah. Yeah. Um, if you need them. Yeah. I, and I guess we could get into a whole debate of using the parameter store versus using something like secrets manager, but we'll save well, that for another day. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a secret, it should be in secrets manager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although should it be there? Cause then I have to pay for it. Right. Like oh, right. Okay. I could, I could, I could store an API key. Right. And if I've, if I'm practicing least privilege, which is again, something we could debate for a long time. If I'm practicing least privilege and I'm living who or what has access to the parameter in the parameter store, and I save yeah. it as a standard tier or whatever they call it, that's free. Versus if I put it in secrets manager, I'm paying for it. And for me, 
the biggest benefit of Secrets Manager is auto-rotation. Yeah, it's more for databases and things like that, right? I, I probably can't auto-rotate my API key that comes from a SaaS provider. Um, oh, yeah. Right? And then, speaking of security, if I have a secrets manager without auto-rotation, it's going to flag me in Security Hub. And then yep. i got to explain that. Uh, yeah. Anyways. And then finally, and again, this is like way over my head. I'm, I'm still trying to learn all this stuff. But this is... Uh, an interesting one again because we were talking about chatbots building a mm. contextual chatbot using knowledge bases for bedrock um obviously we don't want our, our chatbots to be responsible for everything we already talked about that now right how you yep. might get into trouble but i just thought this was interesting because like they talk about uh rags they talk about llms they talk about the fact that knowledge base for bedrocks is a fully managed service or knowledge base for bedrock is a fully managed service I think if you're my take on this, and again, like I I sort of imitated earlier on was as I, as I'm trying to get into this stuff, it's, it's well Mm -hmm. over my area of expertise. But the thing that struck me about this is it it gives you a, an interesting solution, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And then they've got the overview of the entire solution down here. When I was reading through this, skimming through it for, for the, the show today, my first inclination was, oh, there's lots of opportunities here to learn about some of this stuff if you're just oh, yeah. getting started. Like RAGs, LLMs, Bedrock, even this uh, Streamlit application. Uh, a, a great starting point in your learning journey. So that's what kind of grabbed my attention about this. Have you, I know you, you've poked around a little bit with Bedrock. Am I Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did I don't know. Like, do you know anything about sort of like... I'm putting you on the spot like I do every week. Like if you're just getting started <laughs> with this kind of stuff and yeah. and you looked at an article like this, like what would be your first sort of reaction to it? Is this more complicated than I think it is? And that's just my lack of understanding of some of this stuff or, or is this a good sort of, if you just wanted to try something out and start poking around, is this something you could start with? Uh, yeah, I mean, you could, if you put a little effort in, you probably could, right? Uh, Thankfully, they abstract a lot of the complexity away in Bedrock for dealing with the models. So they have like a built-in chat window you can mess with, uh, things like that. And uh, if you scroll down a bit, what is this actually specifically doing? Uh, User input, okay. So it's, you're feeding it data. So you probably have to set up an S3 bucket for that. And then it's... Yeah, because they say down here in the solution, you've got S3 as your source. You've got the knowledge base for Bedrock for your data ingestion. So here's a follow-up question. I've been playing around with Amazon Q. Hmm. Is Amazon Q even a higher level of abstraction than this? Because like with the RAG and the LLM, like I didn't have to think about any of that in Q. I basically just said, here's your data source, go to it. And then I started asking it some questions to see what would happen. Would you say that that again is a higher level of abstraction than even what we're looking at here with just straight bedrock then? Yeah, for sure. Because Q is automatically fed all the info from your account as well, right? So that's a data source taken care of. Q's pre-trained on um, all the AWS stocks. Mm. So it's like a, it's a reg model that you can't really tune to what you want besides pointing a crawler to a place kind of thing, right? So on the other, base queue, on the, on the base on queue. The business, so then, 
Yeah, uh, sorry, I cut you off. I just have a question. So then other than, so what? if I'm understanding what you're saying is you can't really mess around with the underlying technology. Really all you're doing is pointing at different sources of data to populate that repo yeah. that then you can ask it questions about. Like you have no control over which model you're using, for example, to do the retrieval. Uh, okay. It's just whatever queue is packaged with, right? Okay. And if you went with Bedrock, then you've got it's still a level of managed options. service, but you've got options. You can you can choose the model that you believe to be the most appropriate for whatever it is you're trying to do. That's right. Yeah, you can pick one of the cloud models, probably, or Titan or whatever okay. you might need to do your retrieval. Because it looks like yeah, it's just setting up an API to send queries. Yeah. Maybe this is something we could work through. Yeah. Like in a couple of I mean, or something like just work through all of the solution overview, setting up knowledge bases, getting open search running, creating the Lambda functions, right? I don't think it would be much harder than setting up Q probably. It's just a little more work to set up the knowledge base, but. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was just, it's just as I'm trying to learn more about this stuff, this one jumped out mm. at me this week as I was kind of, I think I stumbled across this while I was searching for. Uh, I didn't mention the issue that we had in queue. Um, I'm, mm. I'm pretty sure it was user error, but as I was trying to solve that problem, I think I stumbled across this somewhere just in my Google oh, okay. searching. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put that in the list for this week and just mention it and add it to the newsletter. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's the week. Okay. Yeah. Well. Any parting thoughts before we uh, start our weekend? Um. Yeah, I more AI stuff. Careful what you uh, expose to the internet, I guess. <laughs> Which is pretty much, pretty much good standard advice. since the beginning of in IT, general. right? When yeah. we started plugging <laughs> things in and letting them talk. Be careful. Um, yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. I, I, I was gonna say uh, I'll throw up the fancy outro screen, which I didn't do this okay. week because uh, <laughs> I just got. You just have to imagine it. Yeah, yeah, just imagine a really fancy outro, right? Do do, yep. do 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 do. Enjoy your weekend, folks, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one.